Daniel Dimers studied virtual communities for his PhD in the dialup.com days of the 1990s. Now, as a fintech strategy consultant, he advises some of the world's biggest corporations on policy issues around Bitcoin and blockchain. Daniel spoke at CoinGeek's London conference in February. It was a chance to combine his community's interest, meeting the Bitcoin SV crowd for the first time, with his blockchain expertise, where he's focusing on moving real-world applications on-chain. I wanted to hear Dr. Dimer's take on the behavior of real and digital communities and how BSV should sell itself to big business. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. So Daniel, thank you very much for doing CoinGeek Conversations. Thank you for having me. Before we get to the world of Bitcoin SV, dive back into your own history a little bit, because your uh, early involvement with uh, technology and communities, with, with virtual communities, and you were studying that academically. Yes, so I started in the 80s uh, in 8-bit computing. So I was a coder uh, in the Commodore, you know, 64 times. And these were already virtual communities because you were interacting through servers internationally with other people. I then tried out uh, online multiplayer uh, like games uh, that uh, came before the internet was, was uh, what we know it with HTML, etc. And then I started looking at this academically. So I wanted to research how do virtual communities constitute themselves, how are the dynamics, and how do you develop trust. And when I did a PhD on that, I actually found corporate sponsors or corporations that were also interested in in that topic. For example, they rolled out knowledge management systems and they found that people from, let's say, Japan, uh, Switzerland and America, they don't interact with each other as much as they like because, for example, it was the virtual community was not embedded enough. And so I, I really researched that. Uh, it was a big passion of mine. Looking at the parallels between that and where we are today, today you're a strategy consultant working with big financial companies. Is there a parallel in terms of there's some weird stuff going on with this Bitcoin thing, whatever that may be, and big companies feel that they need to understand it and make sure they don't miss out on something. Yeah, I think that that's a fascinating thing about the, the blockchain ecosystem, so to say. I mean, there's a lot of communities. They constitute almost like tribes. They interact with each other. Uh, and at the same time, corporates are, are a bit at the loss, right? They're looking at this. It develops next to them. Uh, and they wonder, you know, what is all this, uh, this uh, happening here around them? At the same time, of course, digitalization for corporations is quite a complex thing. It's, of course, not just blockchain. At the same time, they're looking at AI, they're looking at other technologies, depending on the industry, drones or robots or AR, VR, augmented reality, virtual reality. So it's actually, the, it's quite a task, right? So in the boardrooms today, uh, the heat is, is rising because uh, well, the exponential technologies are just coming with a full force and it's getting rather faster than slower. So going back to the virtual communities and the corporate interest in that would it be unfair to say that didn't really go anywhere? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that was, uh, if you remember this whole knowledge management lore and narrative that was very strong in the 90s, where basically companies said, well, we need to externalize all our knowledge into virtual communities, into databases, and have people basically interact virtually with that. Um, they felt and, and had to learn that the human element, um, you know, friendships, relationships, people knowing each other from seeing themselves, maybe having a drink together or sharing a dinner, they still matter and, and they matter in the corporate 
corporate world uh, still today, obviously. So I think that was a learning thing that we all went through in the first dot-com, you could say, craze or hype when the bubble also burst. Uh, we, I mean, we all thought back then everything is going to turn totally digital and we'll all be interacting in virtual communities alone. Um, but, I mean, the reality check came. But today, again, we're, we're at a bit back at this narrative and we're back at the discussions. And I think blockchain mm. is a good example. But even before we leave the community thing, I mean, today we have Slack, for instance. True. Yeah. Which may be more what people might have had in mind for those virtual communities. True. Yeah, like interaction platforms where you can, well, productively work. Because don't forget, the early virtual communities, they were all very playful. They were cir- circled around the IRC chats, for example. You were just exchanging opinions on a subject. In my research, I looked at, at support groups of people who had very rare diseases, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're living in, in the middle of nowhere in a country and you don't know people around you who have that disease, it's you're pretty lonely. Um, and suddenly there were virtual communities globally where, where people who had the same uh, disease suddenly shared experiences, how did that medicament work, I mean, treatment, etc. And, and beyond the, the knowledge exchange also provided support, emotional support. It's always nice to connect with people mm. who share the same interest or like you. So these were all very interesting developments. And, and I think it's, uh, for me, an intrinsic part of the digital age that it's not just computers and bits and bytes and it's also humans and Mm. how do we humans interact in that new world and that brings us straight into the whole blockchain um, thing right I mean this has been developed uh, and now it's growing and growing and growing and of course now it touches the borders of the large corporates yes and they're looking at this and they, they see it's a, it's a different language it's different values it's different you know discussions going on than what they're used to so this is where the interesting intersection now happens so now in your position as a consultant if you're invited to talk to people in these boardrooms are you trying to persuade them that there are opportunities for them here or are you trying to warn them about not getting sucked into the hype of it all or what's what's the conversation well, like actually it's it's a bit bit of both right so first of all there's always an educational element i mean people in in boardrooms they have other tasks and duties so they can't be by definition blockchain experts i'm also try to cut a bit through the whole hype thing so mm. wh- whatever time you know maybe there's a hype here or there was a bad news in the newspaper about some uh, hackers who you know appropriated uh, coins um, and I try to just try to damp that down and say no ignore all the things you're hearing ignore all these Silk Road stories I mean that was in the past we're going into the future um, so there's also some element of, of toning it down yeah so and there's some negative uh, preconceptions of course I mean you read what the same newspapers that they read and and you will occasionally bump into these stories and then they talk to three friends who are a bit at the same level like they are so they will probably hang up on topics like criminals and fraud so that this is this has been riddling our industry now for the past years. It's no secret. At the same time, as a, as a strategy consultant, when I work with clients, I always look at opportunities. I look at mm. growth. I want to be you know, kind of a positive uh, with a positive outlook. So I show them the opportunities, but not uh, really trying to be missionary and say you have to go into this in the next six months or you're out of business. But I try to take a really a, f- a fair and, and square look at it, saying these are the opportunities. You can either wait or you can. Uh, dive in now and and give them the options and then at the end it's going to be also their decisions what to do with it and so looking at those opportunities what do you feel is in a way the easiest sell what what kind of thing 
are you most confident about persuading somebody is going to be useful for them? This is this is hard. This is a hard question. This is a really hard question because actually, what I want to sell is probably the thing hardest to sell. So what I want to sell them is actually you know big solutions. You know, obviously, it doesn't make sense if if in the logistics space every logistics company pursues their own little logistics right. project, and and then sometimes they huddle together and you find little consortia of four or five. That's good, but it's still not solving the problem that. Basically, we probably will need a global solution for logistics on chain that somehow you know moves, let's say, containers around. That's connected yes. to the warehouses that the customs authorities can access to. I don't know, do whatever the customs authorities have to do, and all these things. And and I think this is where the bold visions are the hardest sell because, of course, in the boardroom you paint a picture like that. They're going to say, yeah, but these are the five reasons why we're not going to look at this right now. Because, you need to give them something they can yeah, take a kind of baby step yeah, with. Sell, sell it in, in, in chunks, right? Or, or go in it with, with the audible <laughs> chunks. And this is a bit where the industry is stuck right now, right? Every, all the companies are talking probably to people like me and they're selling them small bites and small chunks. Mm. Hence, they all do the pilots uh, and POCs. And, and I, I see a risk in that is that most pilots, they're not that spectacular, right? Right. Because if you don't pursue the big vision, but you go after a very small little tiny use case, yes. then they jump on a permission blockchain for that because they don't see the benefit of doing this on a large scalable one. Uh, and then they do the pilot and it gets reported back into the boardroom. You know, someone comes up and presents, okay, this mm. is the pilot. And of course, results can't be that spectacular. Because it's just a limited thing. Just a little thing. pilot. Yeah. You're, not, yeah, you're yeah. not swimming out in the ocean. You're just dipping in the hotel pool uh, and, and <laughs> waddling around. And, and that's not just the real thing. So this is this is the really hard sell. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always try to give them a long-term vision. How does the logistics space evolve financial services or, or in the IoT world, self-autonomous cars? I was uh, just mentioning that in the panel. In, in a world in 10, 15 years when in London all cars will be self-driving, steered by AIs that constantly communicate with each other. And, and we humans, we just sit in there and, and do whatever we like to do with our additional free time. Um, how will all these autonomous cars interact with each other? Both they will exchange communications like, hey, can you move by? I want to pass or I'm, uh, there's an accident down the road. Everyone careful. At the same time, they'll do microtransactions, right? They're going to pay for things. They're going to pay for electricity, maybe toll gates, waiting at the red, red light. Mm. Maybe they can pay that the red light turns green sooner. So you see that all a blockchain-based technology. It has to be, right? I mean, imagine just the city of London, if, if all cars are moving in sync on, on AIs, how do you do all these microtransactions? How do they communicate with each other? If, if there's going to be a, a master database sitting here somewhere in the hmm. city, I mean, that's open recipe for disaster, right? The, the, go, the database <laughs> goes down, hackers can penetrate it. Uh, so right. then probably will be a large scalable microtransaction uh, enabled blockchain required. And this is probably where, where of course, BSV comes in. Um, but to get there, that is that is a big step because you need to convince the, the car makers, the road toll, the government, the city of London, responsible for the traffic lights. It's, you know, the ecosystem needs to be complete. And to build that, that's a very bold vision. I mean, I think it's very interesting the way you're describing this because, I mean, I've heard the cynical view that consultants love the idea of blockchain because they've got something to sell to their clients that mm. the clients don't really understand. But, you know, what you're saying is that there is this problem between demonstrating something that 
perhaps doesn't seem that spectacular because it's limited in scale. And then this sort of wonderful utopian view yeah, of yeah. how the world will change when everybody is using blockchain. And then the problem is, how do we get to that point? Because even if everyone agrees it would be great if we were there, how do we get from here to there? Absolutely. Because I've been now quite a few years in blockchain. And because I already know that the pilots will, in many cases, not be that spectacular, why would I try sell a small little contained pilot where I know that six months down the road, I'm going to be at a board meeting <laughs> yes. and everyone's going to go like, hey, Daniel, that's not as terrific as you promised us, right? So, 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 so the question <laughs> is, what is your strategy at a, as a strategist? To uh, my, st my strategy is to, to be bold, to be unafraid, but uh, also to to spell exactly that out. I say you can fiddle around with pilots and POCs. There's a lot of corporates who have done 20, 30 of POCs and they keep their teams and busy they're expensive, and they're expensive in their own right. So I, I try to move them a bit more into the bold vision model and, and say, well, let's rather think about some bold vision. Maybe it's hard to attain. Maybe you'll need to talk to your mm. competitors. Maybe you need to go to the government and to these kind of parties. Um, but I think that's then something but, that you can wrap your brain around. So is the bold vision a public blockchain vision? I mean, in, in the example of, of autonomous cars uh, in an IoT world driving around London or, or the world, I, I don't really think uh, permission blockchain will, I mean, who will control it? Is it a permission blockchain by the car builders or hmm. by the city of London or by whom? So, I mean, I think that that is a good argument why it should be a public one so that all the different participants can plug in, right? It needs to be, in a way, a neutral one and that is uh, the feature of polygons rather than built by individual companies. So that all points towards Bitcoin SV. Oh, well, that's definitely a strong competitor, but I'm not, I'm not that deep in the protocol um, to really say, well, that is the solution. There are many competing protocols, as you know, and I was referring in, in, my, eco, uh, in my discussion that the ecosystem is very important to make a decision. So just the technical features will not lead the final decision of, of, the, of a board to go for that technology or that technology. Usually they would delegate that to their CTO anyway and tell him or her, you decide which... Mm which company we use. Like but It's interesting because if it's not the technical features, then it's perhaps the reputation of the people behind it and it's who's not, backing it and stuff. Whereas in, yeah. the whole point of something like Bitcoin SV is that there isn't a sort of owner to meet and to shake the hand of. True, but, but I have a very clear view here that something that is completely decentralized and anonymous and there's no one backing it, corporates don't like that, right? Because they want to know there's a steward of the protocol, or there's a, there's mechanism built, or or there's companies like Enchain where I can hmm. go and I find, you know, qualified people that can right. help me with something. If there's no one taking care of it, I mean, it doesn't sound that appealing. This is why. Um, Hyperledger and protocols like that are very appealing to l large corporates because they're associated with big brands they already know. Uh, they know a lot of other corporates are going down that route, so it is a bit this hurt effect. They say, okay, we do the same what, what others are doing. Nobody got fired for choosing IBM. Exactly. <laughs> this is, the, this is the, the narrative here. But I think in the panel we discussed, there's, there's the governance, so they want to know who is kind of behind it, who is mm. in charge. Is this uh, a credible story? Am I, uh, do I have to worry that two years down the road, the protocol is going to be completely reinvented and moved from one model to the other. These are all things corporates don't like. They, they also want to know, um, is this thing regulatorily you know, appropriate? Will my regulators 
give me any hard time if I choose like this blockchain over that blockchain. So there's also this regulatory side, legal side, and then they want to see how big is the ecosystem. I think this is also very important, and that's something where BSV has to grow. I mean, if if a CEO decides in a pharmaceutical company, all right, let's go with BSV, and then he tells his CTO, um, hire five world-class developers now, or you have two months. And then if these people are not on the market, that's a problem, right? I mean, many, I mm-hmm. I'm do a lot of work with banks. There's a lot of core banking systems out there in the markets. Sometimes core banking systems gets chosen on the precondition that there's a large crowd of developers and integrators yes. available for that core it's banking system. It's a chicken system. and egg situation, though, isn't it? Because those developers with experience are not going to exist unless those jobs are there True. to be had. True, yeah. But often that's a decision criteria, so not just the technology, but can we hire uh, not just a consulting company or an IT company because they're going to come and go away. Maybe we want to build those capability. That's what I would tell them as a strategy consultant. I would say don't just rely on external parties. Try to build some capabilities in-house. Have a group be very savvy. Hire some certified, you know, the, if there's a certification, even better. Um, and build those capabilities up. If the market is not there, again, that's a minus, right? They'll say, oof, but if we can't find anyone who wants to work for us on that, um, we're going to be reliant always on some some consultants coming in and doing the work for us and the plumbing. So I think there's a there's a it's a complex mix of criteria. You know the the governance, uh, also of course features for money. So how you know how expensive is that? Um, I think this is where also semantics maybe need to change. If if you come to me and you say, well, choose BSV because it got unlimited block size, we can do whatever we want. Uh, as a corporate, you hear unlimited. It immediately means all oh, costs probably high and probably too big for what I need it for, right? right. Uh, so a, a better sell is probably to say, we, we are very flexible, we can accommodate any size requirement yeah. that you want. So whatever you need, we can solve it right. because we are scalable. And But just saying it's unlimited uh, in, a, in a corporate mindset, unlimited is always, that's not right, that's right. not economical. If I were to ask you to give a kind of school report on how you think the young Bitcoin SV is growing up, what would you what would your assessment be well i've been i've been on many many blockchain conferences the past years and i'm i'm really impressed by this conference it's very professionally organized but but more importantly i think the people i meet is is quite quite an interesting crowd because i see a lot of use case applications so you know already startups that have built something that are out there um, i spoke to a, a group they're building a core banking system on BSV, I think that's that's very bold and a very interesting perspective because there's going to be a big need for, you know, core banking replacements. Uh, there was an interesting, uh, I think, Chronoverse, you know, in, in the e-gaming industry where, of course, mm-hmm. cheating and cheaters is, is becoming more and more critical. And, and I think the trust layer that, that a blockchain can provide will be very important here. So I see a lot of interesting and, and I have great talks in, in the breaks. I think the breaks could be a bit longer <laughs> because, you yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great interaction. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here. But as you say, I'm outside of the circle, so I'm still learning, right? I'm, I'm uh, diving into it and, and learning about uh, the people and the protocol. But you're going to leave here and the people you interact with in your consultancy work, you're going to be potentially 
saying BSV is an interesting area to be looking definitely, at. Definitely, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the, the features of the protocol, they I think they point absolutely in the direction that I'm, I'm think is going to be important. You know, large applications, not small. Um, also, the also the the reliability of the protocol is very important. Uh, and of course, the ecosystem needs to grow. So you know, it's time to build, but at the same time, I think that's the motto of of this conference. It's also time to grow and also time to engage with corporates. I think it's it would be a bad strategy for the BSV community to just now go down, let's build a lot of different apps and apps and tools and, and then f- hope that corporates will discover it on their own. I think this is, corporates don't operate like that. They're not going to scout and, and um, they, um, you have to engage them. You have to go to them and say, look, what are your three biggest problems that we can help you solve? We got the technology, we got the builders for it, we can co-create, you know, we work together with your IT people and there's knowledge transfer happening. That's the strategy I would pursue to really engage early um, because there's also a, a, a time clock ticking here you know i see now all corporates dipping their feet in the pool doing pilots here and there some have already built quite sizable blockchain teams up and and if you now wait too long let's say two three years before you do the, the big marketing and, and go to market and roll out um, it may happen that on many requests to corporates they'll say oh thank you but we we're already built built on this Just or on that right, platform. Yeah. It's already done. I have a team of coders here, and I don't need another one. So I think there's a timing issue here. And and my advice outside uh, outside in would be to also go and engage uh, companies very early on, even if maybe not all the the apps and apps are ready, and maybe not all uh, solutions are here. But but co-create them because the, by engaging with large corporates, particularly, you will also see you know where where can you help the most yeah. that's terrific well I hope you come back to the next conference as well and if I get invited it'll, it'll be I'll bigger be happy and to. better than never before so thank you very <laughs> thanks much thanks for having me thanks. thank you my thanks to Daniel Dimers and we had no idea when that conversation was recorded back in February just how relevant virtual communities were about to become I hope everyone is keeping well please join me again next week for another CoinGeek conversation.